0: Sport Calgary conducts research into sports issues in our city. Did you know the gross municipal amateur sport product in Calgary is over $1.2 billion per year? Visit sportcalgary.ca to learn more. Hey, hey, kids, how you holding up? Uh, It's your podcast, pal, Rob Kerr. Uh, We are a little slower here in the the summertime with the original Six Feet Conversation podcast, but dare I say, uh, just as engaging, and it has very little to do with me and very much so to do with our guests. Uh, Recently, Scott Krukshank from the Athletics stopped by, again, a little nervous by his own admission, yet we do nearly a two-hour podcast. Uh, I would say kind of the same thing today. Now. Our guest, full disclosure, friend of mine, uh, is a Calgary-born dude. A Calgary-born dude. um, 1868 games in the National Hockey League. 88 of those came in the playoffs. An All-Star game in 98, an Olympics in 02, an outdoor game in uh, in 2011 in the Heritage Classic. Was in the league from 86 to 2016, but Rob... That's an awful lot of games for a player. Yeah, you're right. It's actually a linesman. My old pal Mike Civic. You know, Mike, he's a giant. Uh, he's a giant in officiating, and he's a giant in life, and he's a giant in the community, and we're going to get into that with him today. Um, he a Calgary guy, born, raised here, played hockey, uh, migrated to officiating, and I thought we might do a little bit more of the, the history of Mike Civic, but as it turns out, we got into a fascinating conversation about the game and and his opinions and now with a little bit of distance between himself and the National Hockey League and a new role with the uh, HSL here in, in Alberta as he works with their officials and, and tries to develop the next round of officials. He's also working on a kind of a cool project that, well, let's be honest, it got us down a rabbit hole. It got us down a deep rabbit hole. And then, so we, th- we got it back on track, and then I asked him another question because one of the failings of this podcast, one of the areas that I don't think we have quite talked enough about, Mike could ably talk about that, so we get into that. So it's a, it's a great conversation with Mike Civic, um, especially if you... Uh Uh, if you're into the kind of the evolution of the the officiating in the game of hockey and where it's coming where it's going and kind of the unintended consequences and impacts of things and mike's great at this This is actually a lot of fun by the way before we do that just a reminder calgary is home to world-class multi-sport facilities find the facility closest to you at sportcalgary.ca let's spend some time with arguably the biggest official in the history of the national hockey league calgary's own mike Civic. When we started this whole process, it was, geez, you know, oof, what's it like not doing anything? And and then it evolves. And, you know, we just did a podcast with actually somebody who's going back, is back working now in sport. What's this, you know, for someone like yourself, uh, and I kind of know the story, what's this pause been like for you, Mike?
1: Well, it's, it's been good and bad. It's given me a lot of time to spend with my daughter, mm um which you know when i was still working and traveling i didn't get to do that a whole lot so um in that respect it's gotten gotten that i've really got to know her and uh, we've got a really really good relationship now um not that we didn't have but uh more of an understanding one now Um, and you know with you know the hsl they uh they were a little upset at how hockey, Alberta treated them in the Bantam draft with seven kids that were either in the HSL or graduated from the HSL that got drafted and they never recognized them in their, um, uh, I guess their media release. So they really want to distance themselves from, you know, the politics of hockey, Alberta. So they've actually got me, they want their own rule book. So I'm working on a rule book strictly for HSL. So that's been, uh, that's been keeping me busy in my downtime when I haven't been in the hospital is it's, uh,
0: well, it's see there, you're hybrid. burying the lead a little bit. What's
1: that?
0: <laughs> I said, there, you're burying the lead a little bit.
1: <laughs> um, so it's, you know, it's going to be a hybrid of the national hockey league, IHF and some, uh, Canadian hockey stuff because, um, with them going to a U 17 division this upcoming season, whenever it starts, um, they want the scouts that are going to come in to uh, compare apples to apples. So, you know, we're going to have uh, pretty much, it's almost going to be Alberta junior Western hockey league kind of style um, rule book for that division.
0: R- it's not rewriting the rules, though, per se. Like you're not inventing new rules or deleting existing rules or changing the rules of the game, though. Correct?
1: No, I'm. I'm just. I, I'm. I'm kind of modifying them, and I'm making the rulebook uh, more user friendly for the officials. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, if you need to find a rule um, for something under, you know, say, match penalty. All of those, all of those match penalty rules are going to be in one section. You're not going to see match penalty under rule five, and then have to go to slew footing where it's it's a match penalty, which yeah, is another yeah. rule. Which is yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's all going to be spelled out in one rule. So um, even when coaches and or parents want to want to find out an interpretation or a rule, it's going to be right in the rule book.
0: Right, right, right. Well, that almost seems like common <laughs> in a way, common sense, like um you know well, we, and we we grab we we adopt things or we you know you add on to things but you never stop take a deep breath and go are we you know is this organized correctly
1: right no exactly and that was always our bitch with even the nhl rule book is you know you, you're in the heat of the moment and you want to find a rule and you have 15 minutes to find it do you think you can find it not a yeah, chance.
0: No, no, trust me. I'm aware of that. You're aware of that. You got more than one phone call from me going, I don't understand what the hell's going on here. Mike, explain it to me.
1: <laughs> and then you then you come out and the coach has found it because 'cause he's got eight guys that are upstairs yeah, that are exactly. seeking the rule. Yeah. So then he throws it at you It's like, Well, how the hell do you guys not know this? Well we, <laughs> well, we were looking for we were looking for it, but we couldn't find it.
0: Well, you know, and we can come back to what we were talking about, but you know, I i it's funny you say that because uh, I remember um uh, Doug Wilson's brother played for the Canadians was a color analyst in Ottawa. What? Gord Wilson? No. Um,
1: Oh, you know who I'm uh, talking about. I know who you're talking about.
0: Murray uh, Wilson, Murray Wilson.
1: Murray, there you go.
0: Murray and I were talking one day cause he was a color analyst in, uh, Ottawa and, and the NHL made some rules, real changes. I just kind of asked him and he made a really good point. He said, you know, Rob, when I played the rule book was 16 pages Yep. And, Mike, when you left the league and when I retired from broadcasting, I believe the NHL rulebook was in the 240 pages or something like that?
1: Uh, let's see. i got it right here in front okay. of me because I've been doing some <laughs> uh, 216 pages. There
0: you go. So 200-plus pages from when a guy won multiple Stanley Cups with the Montreal Canadiens. Like yeah, let me find it because
1: I've got one book here from. Uh, where is
0: it? Oh, you got one of the uh, – one of the old like ones? one
1: of the original rule books.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, it, it's not surprising that you're undertaking the task you are. It, it's probably a necessary, and I, I, you know, far be it for a league to ever say, oh, well, we're going to go back and revisit the rule book, but uh, that's a pretty dramatic jump of adding 200 pages from the 1970s to 2015, right?
1: Oh, and and you know the majority of the rules rob are stuff that they've added to that really if you apply the rules by common sense they don't have to be spelled out the way they are
2: right right
1: but i mean the fighting rule i mean it's gone from like one page to 15 pages with all these things that could happen in a fight yeah and it comes from you know rob ray pulling his jersey off and his shoulder pads so you can't get in an- you can't get a get a hold of him. So he's got a competitive advantage over his, his opponent. Right. And then, you know, you got the tie down and then you got, well, what if the guy's wearing a face mask and the guy's not, and the other guy he's fighting doesn't have a helmet and da, 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 da. So it was on and on.
0: So is that what it is, Mike? Is it, is it we went from 16 pages to 216 pages cause we just wanted to close the loops, yep. Cl- close the loopholes.
1: Yep. Because somewhere a referee made a decision and a, coach or general manager or maybe even an owner couldn't find it in the rule book yep so it was the referee's interpretation of what happened on the ice according to how the rule was written at the time right and the person didn't agree with it so they're like okay well now we have to add to the rule to close this loophole but when they do that they don't look at how it affects other rules
0: unintended consequences
1: So, you know, and and I don't know how many years of training camp that we would sit there in our rules discussion when the league would propose, well, we want to bring this rule in. And it's like, okay, that's great when you guys are in the competition committee and your general managers and your owners and your players, but you don't have any officials on there. uh, Because when we sit in the meeting, we dissect the rule and say, well, it's going to affect this. It's going to do this. And, you know, Coley Campbell will stand up there and say, well, no, it's not going to do anything. And sure enough, you know, either in the exhibition season or the first month of the season, it happens, and they we look at them and go like, well, what do you want? You know, we told you it was going to happen.
0: Well, and I've shared this story with you before, but one of the early exposures I had in hockey management was going to a league meeting, coming up with new rules, mm-hmm. league votes on them, board of governors votes on them, we're going to put these new rules in all in favor, it's a unanimous, congratulations, gentlemen, we've changed those rules. All right, let's adjourn. And they all go up to the bar, and they all start figuring out how to bend the rules, right? Like, that's that's exactly. what happens.
1: Exactly. exactly. They bring it in, and then the, they're, they're the first ones to look at how to circumvent it.
0: Oh, for, for sure, for sure. And So let me ask you this, and I don't want to get too... Now you've taken me down a rabbit hole, which you've done before, and I've done to you before, so it's not <laughs> uncommon. But... Uh, do you believe in the current world we live in that the n h l could ever go back to a sixteen page rule book?
1: Be- no the lawyers would never allow it right right uh just just the legal stuff that you know the consequences of you know should somebody get hurt or you know get severely crippled or you know God forbid somebody ends up dying on the ice yep and it, and they've taken a rule out or taking um took a uh, an interpretation out of the rule and this is what happened and the consequence of that it would it would never go backwards no
0: and and the other part that we've lost is kind of that honor among thieves that yep. you know we can all agree that there's a little gray area here and gray area is better for the game but
1: uh, you but, know what absolutely it's it's and I I I've, I've told you this phrase before it's a game played by humans it's a game officiated by humans yeah the team and the players that make the least amount of mistakes should win the game. But what they try to do is fill all the loopholes, and by doing that, they create more chaos in the game because there's more confusion because of one thing that they're trying to fix.
0: Right, right. Was the greatest example? Was the greatest example of that Mike 1999 in Buffalo and Dallas?
1: Yep, exactly. The foot in the crease rule. That was the like we tried. You know, we, we got into the well. Let's do the IIHF interpretation that if a guy touches the line or skates through the line, we blow the whistle and have a face off out in the, in the news. No, we don't want to be like the IIHF, right? And then, well, let's try, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. and then you know, I, I remember Brian Burke sitting up at the front of the at the front of the room and he smacks the desk. <laughs> he goes, "Listen, you're either pregnant or you're not." <laughs> and the room just went quiet. It was like, okay, we get what you're trying to say, Berkey, but. You have no idea the issues that this is going to cause.
0: Yes, hundred percent.
1: Right, and Stanley Cup final.
0: Right, and and you and I have both subsequently been to Buffalo, and that was nineteen ninety nine, and here we are twenty one years later, and it's still talked about. It still pisses everybody off. It's still the you know what I mean. Like,
1: oh, it, it's it, it, it's it's no different than when. Um, you know, the, the, Pat Quinn with the Philadelphia Flyers, he could not let go of the offside that Leon Stickle missed in, in the final that, you know, started the New York Islanders dynasty. Really? Oh, yeah. Like, right right, right to the bitter end. Really? That that was his biggest bitch. And his biggest thing with the officials is, you guys screwed us in 1907, whatever year that was, <laughs> because of the offside.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that forever shaded and view his view, and his conversations, right?
1: Yep, yep. Anytime you had a, an offside, or you know, referees had to use judgment. He just, he, if he didn't agree, he'd lose his mind because, in the back of his head, that was always lingering there. Right. And it was like, you know, the, here, here we go. We're getting screwed again.
0: Right. The, the when you, now you're a couple years removed from the NHL, but still active working with young officials. So you're still within the game the The other thing, and it sounds sounds like two old guys on the front lawn telling the kids to get off, but
1: are we the guys in the balcony? Yeah, we're the Muppets? guys that were Stadler
0: and Waldorf. That's exactly it, yeah, and the Muppets, no, exactly it um but the one thing that I don't like about players coaches nowadays is everything's wrong, does not matter everything is wrong there's there's yeah. very rarely seems to be an admission of. Oh, that was my fault, right? It's always yep. and and you guys in stripes are just easy enough targets that it's always your the, that's the part that really bugs me about this game. And I'll give you an yep. example of that. You and I both know, I don't know how we ended up down this rabbit hole, but we always do. You and I both know like the the playoffs drive me nuts. Because you're at you guys the, the expectation is for you guys to let them play until letting them play impacts the other team, right? And, which and, it usually does. Which it usually does. And if I've heard one general manager or one coach say, Well, you know me, I, nobody's a bigger supporter of the officials than me. I, I, I've got their back. I love the officials, but you have to, you know, it's always that but, right? It's always that but. And, yeah, well, and,
1: you know, and you know, Rob, I, I, every weekend that I'm in a rink, if it's not uh, an owner of a team or a manager or a coach or even a parent that comes up to me and says, you know, the referee was brutal today, da 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 And my response, you know, I-, I used to get upset and I used to get into arguments with them. But, you know, I guess getting older and wiser, you know, I don't know how much wiser, but unless it's <laughs> in a bottle and I'm pouring it in oh, a um, uh,
0: This is an adult I podcast. I just look
1: at them now and I say, okay, I, I, I understand you're upset and I, I don't agree with your position. I look at them and say, how do we fix this? Yeah. I, I'm tired of arguing. You tell me how we fix this. Yeah. Because I'm the guy that's going to fix it. If you give me an idea how to fix it, yeah. I'll... I'll, 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 I'll I'll take your input and we'll, and we'll go fix it. But that's today's society. Everybody complains, but nobody's got an answer.
0: Right. Or, or prepared to help or prepared no, to help. Exactly. Right. Oh,
1: no, no. I, oh, I don't have time for that. Sorry.
0: No, no, no. And, and you know, it bugged me the most cause I, you could, I did freaking so many playoff series in the media. You could see it coming a mile away. The first round was always the greatest round and the officials let them play. And, Wow, what great officiating. And by the time we got to the conference final, it was usually some columnist in Toronto with the last name Cox or Simmons that oh the NHL that they lost control of the officials. And it was year after year after year after year after year. And I felt like I was you know, I was the only one seeing it. And then I talked to you, you guys know it. Like it's the same it was the same rhythm, right?
1: Well, you know, I and I guess in my little utopia world, I'd like to see the regular season officiated like we officiate the playoffs yeah, yeah. would that not make the game be- would that not make the game more exciting
2: right right
1: would that not make would that not make the players get used to how things are going to happen instead of well for 5 months we're going to crack down we're going to call this 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 and this oh but sorry come april 15th yeah forget what we did for 1260 games cuz now we're going to do something different
2: right 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 Right.
1: And then everybody's confused and everybody's mad because then you'll get, uh, you know, you, you'll get two referees out there that uh, let them take it to the edge maybe a little more than a couple of the other guys. So these guys get accolades in some press and then they get vilified with others. Yeah. But then you get the, the next two guys that come in the next night and they call penalties. And it's like, oh my God, what's going on with the league? Geez, you know, last night they didn't do anything. Tonight we've got, you know, we've, we've got twenty-seven minor penalties.
0: I I I I agree. I absolutely <laughs> agree. But but in your career, because your your first year was eighty-seven, right? Yep. Right, and your your last year was uh, twenty-sixteen. Sixteen. Okay, I was going to say eighteen, but sixteen. Wow, four years. Um, yep. you would have seen, by my count three crackdowns. Is that right? You know, where we start the season and everybody's on board. We really need to get it in control. We know there's going to be lots of penalties and we're all on board and we're, you know, we're all going to sing out of the same hymn book. And then we get three weeks in and the cracks start to show and we get four weeks in and the players start to bitch. And we get five weeks in and the GMs want somebody's head on a stick. Like there's no appetite for that stuff, right? There never yeah, has. And been. then,
1: and, and then they go to the first general manager's meeting, and then we get all the uh, all the proposals of how uh, you know this this isn't working the way we intended it to work. <laughs> so uh, now we have to tweak it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was was the hardest one? Mike coming out of the kind of the adjustments coming out of the oh four oh five lockout that oh five oh six was that the hardest year?
1: You, you know, at training camp we talked about the potential that it had to be really difficult. Um, and you know, we kept saying it to, to, to Coley and, uh, would have been, uh, Steven would have been the first year boss and stuff like this. And it was like, if this, if, if this is going to work, how you want it to intended to work, we need buy-in from the players. Yep. We also need, we also need buy-in from team management that should we falter a little bit that they're not the first ones running to the media saying that, you know, we're a bunch of idiots and this isn't going to work and stuff they've got to they've got to be quiet keep it keep it in house and let's get this thing on track cuz players will play the game however you let them play the game yep. they just need to know the parameters under which they can play yep so if you give them a set guidelines of how they're going to play they're going to play within that yep. but if you're telling them that you've got uh you know a, a 60 foot wide gap of how we're going to call things. And then all of a sudden it goes to 40 and then it goes to 120. they they have no idea how to play the game.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then that's when, you know, and, and the worst part is that's when guys get hurt.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cause they, they don't, they, they don't know what's coming. They don't know what to expect. If, if you keep it in a narrow scope and everybody's doing the same thing and they're all playing the same way, it's, it's an exciting game and you have the, you have the great finishing body checks you have the great intensity in there because they know how to play the game in, in inside the rules right but when they don't know that when they don't know inside the rules it's it's complete mayhem out there
0: i've never asked you this would, would it have been easier to officiate in 2001 2002 or in 2007 2008 i mean the de- what, what would they eventually would call the dead puck era and then you know, post lockout with all of the new rules and and you know and and I I'm by that I mean is it easier is it easier to call everything rather than just you know letting them play and make the right call?
1: See, I I I, I don't like like anybody can go out and call penalties.
2: Right. Right.
1: Like you you know I I could go stand on a corner and ask a guy hey listen you want to make fifty bucks just you know throw it, when you think you have a penalty call a penalty.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. My philosophy has always been let the players play within the scope of the rule, but know what the intent of the rule is. If you know what the intent of the rule is, you can officiate a broader standard because you have that judgment that, okay, yeah, the guy stuck his stick in there, but he didn't, didn't do anything. Right. Like you know, the 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 team never lost possession of the puck. He didn't slow him down or any of this. Yeah, you know, you heard that. Oh, the stick's parallel to the ice. It's got to be a penalty. Well, not not every time is that the is, is is that truthful.
2: Right, right.
1: But the media like to dumb everything down. Not not you, of course. But there's <laughs> media that like I'm retired.
0: I'm retired. Part.
1: The um, you know, well, the stick's parallel. It's got to be a penalty. Well, what has he done with it? Hasn't done anything with it, so it can't be a penalty. Yeah, yeah. Until he does something. Yeah know the intent of what the rule is and then officiate by what the intent is. Yeah. And I think that actually helps bring the consistency into the game if you have every official officiating with that mentality.
2: Right. Right.
1: Because then the players the, the, the players go out and they just react to what the what the, what happens on the ice versus thinking about it because when you think about it you're done. Yeah. If if you react to how the play goes on, you make great plays.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I, I go back and I, you know, because during the pause, there was so much, you know, the repeated, the old games and stuff like that. And after a while I didn't watch, but you know, I, it's hard not to watch 2004 cause I was there on the outside watching it and God, it was a rodeo like back in oh, your God. own zone. Oh God love me. He's a great guy, but you know, Rhett Warner, my God, they'd execute him nowadays
1: well, I mean, I remember nights where where Mario Lemieux would be carrying the puck, and he'd have three guys draped all over him, and he's still carrying the puck. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, man, there's got to be a penalty there somewhere. <laughs> nope, no penalty. <laughs> Jeez. he goes off the ice and he shakes his head and he's he's like, you know, yeah. what do I do? Like, yeah. I, you know, I can complain, but what's that going to get me?
0: Yeah. No, I just it, it's to me it's fascinating, and this all starts because of you know this project you're working on, which is kind of rewriting a rule book. And you know, I can only you know imagine the the challenges that you had in your career of all right, guys, this year we're doing this, I mean, you know, something as crazy as okay, now if the puck goes over the glass, that's a penalty. Like how yeah. big? Because that's an o four o five rule adjustment. How big a change was that? You well, know, that
1: was huge because. Before you didn't worry, all you were worried about was um, did it go directly out or did it deflect off of somebody and where and where are we taking the face off? Yeah. Now yeah. it's like, okay, did he shoot it direct? Did it t- did it hit the glass? Did it touch somebody? You know? And then it's you know, we get together because one guy has one thing, another guy has another thing, and the other two guys they don't know. And it's like, okay, what do we do now? Like, is it a penalty or isn't it? And you got one team screaming, that's a penalty, and you got the other team said, No, it deflected.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: and and you know you got one and one, and you got two that don't know, and it's like, okay, what do we do now?
0: <laughs> well, and and I don't know this. Was was there a mechanism prior, Mike? If there was there, if there was an egregious, you know, the year before whatever, 03-04, If there was an egregious, like I just literally get the puck in my end, I turn to the sideboards and I flip it into the crowd. Was there a, a mechanism in the rule book for delay of game, or you know? was there a rule that could have been enforced
1: there was and here we go you know they just added to the rule because of, of a situation that happened in columbus Yep. um there was a delay of game penalty for deliberately shooting or batting the puck out of the playing surface okay whether you were a goaltender or a forward okay we had we had that we had that in the rule book we, right we had that tool in our toolbox but then they were like okay we have too many guys that are perceived and again, it wasn't over the course of the regular season, but you got to the playoffs and yeah. you know so, so, some some teams get pressured and they didn't like it, so they're firing the puck up in the air. Yeah. Oh gee, it went out of you know oh, it went out of, out of the playing surface. Ooh, sorry, didn't mean to do that. Well, yeah, you did. Right. And it was like some referees would call it; the majority wouldn't call it. The majority that wouldn't call it, they got screamed at until the puck dropped and then play went on. Yeah. The guys that called it it, it, it stuck with them because how can you make that lousy call in a in a playoff game? Da, 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 da. How do you know that he did it on purpose? Are you a mind reader? And all that kind of stuff came into it. So yeah. then I was like, okay, you know what? We'll just make a blanket. You shoot it out of uh, out of the playing surface inside your attacking zone?
0: Well, oh, and, and that's, I go back to my point about 10 minutes ago, like, you know, that you do it to yourselves. You complain about everything, everything's wrong all the time, rather than taking some responsibility and accepting it, and here we are. And now
1: right? You know, one of my and you know, one of my biggest things is now is you want to make the game better. There's so much speed in the game, yeah, and the defensemen have a heck of a time turning to go play pucks in the corner. Get rid of the lines behind the net, let the goalies go behind the net and play the puck. Yep. Yeah. If they have the opportunity to do it, let them go do it. But you know what? We had to have a rule because of Marty Turco, Martin Brodeur. They were such good puck handlers, and they could turn around and fire the puck up to the far blue line to a yeah. guy on a breakaway. Yeah. You know, you give it to Mike Medano and the next closest guy's in uh, Fort Worth trying to catch him. Yeah. Um, oh, we got to stop that because uh, twenty-eight other teams don't have a good goalie that can handle the puck, so we got to stop yeah. these two guys.
0: It's really it was really a rule to 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 kind of deaden the blow of skill, right? Right? Because, I mean... Yeah, we,
1: can't, we, we can't we can't allow the good goaltenders that can handle the puck the ability to go do it anymore behind the net because they're going to make... Nine times out of ten, they're going to make really good plays.
0: Yeah, you know, that's a great one, Mike. You know, it's funny. I hadn't thought about it that way. But, yeah, that can go now. We're good. I think we're all good. Right? It's, Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And, I, you know, which brings... Again, there's so many branches of this. But... <laughs> How incredible when you look back. We mentioned eighty-seven to, to sixteen. Did any position evolve more than the goaltending position in your time in the NHL?
1: None. None. It used to be okay. We've got our uh, we got our centerman. You know, we got our forwards. We got our D man. Uh, stick the chubby guy in, uh, yeah. in, in into net. Yeah. And just let him uh, because you know he's 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 bigger with the equipment on. He should be able to stop pucks. Now you've got like. You know, you got the Ben Bishops, and uh, you know, you got David Riddich and you got uh, you know the, the majority of the goaltenders there are pure athletes.
3: Yeah, yeah,
1: they are athletic, man. They can do a lot of things. Yeah, why don't we let? Why don't we showcase that? Let them go do it. I,
0: I to me, well, it's always been about offense, right? Like all the rules have always been about creating more offense. Yep. Right. That's. The premium and in fairness, in fairness, I mean, you worked that era, but when Minnesota went to the Western Conference Final in year number three of their existence, that was not the you know the the greatest era in hockey's history, right? Like it needed no, a you, tweak.
1: You didn't want to get a you didn't want to get a Minnesota playoff game because you knew it was going to be just a <laughs> just a <long> night.
0: <laughs> yeah, when they started that lock, that left wing lock, man, like it was crazy. It was painful. It was, wasn't it?
1: It was like we'd, we'd we'd be on the ice going like, can you imagine people paid 500 bucks to watch
0: this?
1: (laughs) Yeah. On the ice, uh, like just being on the ice, it was painful. I couldn't imagine what it would have been like sitting in the stands watching it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yet when you came into the league, my guess is you probably did a couple of ten four games or an 11, seven game or Oh, yeah. Right? Some of those Hartford-Quebec games that could get out of hand or New Jersey games that could get out of hand.
1: Oh, yeah. But you know what? You had fun doing those games.
0: Oh, yeah. I bet, right? Because
1: everybody wanted to see this. You know, everybody wanted to see the goals. They didn't yeah. care if it was uh, 6-2 or 11-5. It was like, just keep scoring goals. Yeah. And then, of course, you throw in you throw in all the fights that we used to have and people would go home happy.
0: Yeah. What, what? What changed, Mike? What changed from the '80s into the '90s? What from ice level? From your perspective, what what happened in in a decade there? You know, from '87 to to 1997. What happened in the game?
1: I think it was the evolution of the younger player coming in and taking more roster spots than uh, than having the veterans. Uh, and, I, and I don't hang on isn't the proper word, but have the veterans in the room that would teach the one or two, maybe three young guys that uh, teams would bring in, teach them the right way to play the game, teach them the right way to respect your opponent and respect the game. Um, we had a flood of young kids come in, and, I mean, talented as all heck, yeah, but they didn't learn the respect factor of their opponents right. or the game or the officials or any of that, and that's, uh, I, I think... That's where things got a little twisted when it came to, then all of a sudden, you know, we had the, well, we got to bring in the checking from behind rule because you got guys pancaking guys in yeah. the boards because yeah. they, you know, it was like, you know, the, your your sentiment uh, and your, your, your forward coach is going, run them through the end boards. So you get guys that would run them through the end boards.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's ways to do it legally, but these guys are just, you know, you know, uh, all I see is uh, I'm a bull and I see red. Here I come. Watch out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of fighters that talk about that, right? That, that you know, the the 80s, the 70s, and 80s, there were, you know, good tough guys, Dave Brown and, you know, and the, and the likes. But in the 90s, they all got muscular, right? And they all got, they, they could punch with power. They didn't know what they were doing necessarily, but they could punch and they could hurt, right? And yeah. it, it kind of got mean in a way, that way.
1: Yeah, and it, it, in, in the early part of my career, you had your, quote, the tough guys Yeah, and you knew who they were and those guys didn't go after, after the skilled players. Right. They played amongst themselves.
2: Yeah.
1: It's like, okay, you know, Pat Quinn sends me out and Bob Johnson sends me out. I don't know what I've got to do when this guy's on the ice. It's me and him. It's not, okay, I'm going to chase, um, Yari Curry around the ice and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to plant him and then expect somebody to come and get me. That kind of era of those guys, getting to the end of their career and the young guys again coming in who were much more fit and, and stronger. They became the middle weights, but they thought they were the heavyweights mm-hmm. so that if you know, say Dave Brown uh, ended up in Philly one night dressing and he's uh, playing against Gino, uh, Jeff Rogers.
3: Yep. Yep.
1: You know, Jeff would think he'd have to take on Dave Brown. well, Dave Brown would just ragdoll him and, and, until the end of the night. But Dave, Dave wouldn't go looking for that because no. that's not a guy that he would be competing against.
2: Right, right. But
1: this guy would chase him around the rink and, and do everything he could to try to get under her until eventually, Dave would go, okay, you know what? Not only have I had enough, my team's had enough. Uh, I'm just, I'm just going to pummel you.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it also seems that that was the era where the the hitting the hitting to hurt came in and I and I don't want to yep. suggest that there weren't big hits in the seventies the eighties and this there were there were really big hits but you know the Scott Stevens type you know hit and I think we became more aware of obviously concussions and those issues and things like that but it also seems to me that was the time too that you know it, it reminds me a little bit of um, baseball and and basketball, and and they often said that, you know, some of the skill came out of the game because ESPN came on and they do these highlight reels and all they show are slam dunks and and home runs. So that's what the kids did, slam dunks and home runs, right? Just trying to make the highlight reel.
1: And, and I mean, how many times did Scott Stevens bury somebody in the middle of the ice and everybody was like, wow, that's an awesome hit? No, that's not an awesome hit. That's illegal.
0: Yeah. Well, that's rock and talk hockey, right?
1: You're actually hurting a guy. Yeah. That's not a body check anymore. That's punishment and intimidation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of came into that era too, correct? Yep. Yeah. And and I think the other thing too that, and and I don't think it had anything to do with you guys on the ice, but I think off the ice we were beginning to have the fandom, the media were beginning to have an awakening of what's right and what's wrong. And I I often think of um, Marty McSorley and Donald Brashear, that that was, you know, part of that era, too, that that kind of changed the game, that, you know, this on-ice incident all of a sudden became the covers for McLean's magazine, and you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it became a news story more than a hockey story, too.
1: Oh, it, 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 was, it was ridiculous how that just blew. Like, I was there, and... You, were we, you, did you do that game, Mike? Mike? Oh, I was in that game. Oh, I, I didn't know that. I was, I was the one that grabbed Marty.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, and and the whole thing started because Donald jumped Marty. And I wouldn't say beat him in the fight, but he got the better of him. Sure. And more of a tussle than yep. throwing punches. Yep. And Donald, of course, does what Donald does in Vancouver to fire up the fans. He does, I you know, I've got the heavyweight belt because I just beat the champ. Yep. yep. So you know, Marty's talking to him the rest of the night, come on, we got, you know, if if we're going to fight, you know, take me on head head to head, you know, don't jump me from behind. Donald's like, no, I'm not going to fight you anymore. I'm not going to fight you anymore. And that thing from the start of the game just escalated right to the end of the game. And I know Marty didn't want to swing his stick and hit him in the head. Right. I know that for a fact. Yeah. Because I was skating up the ice behind him and I saw what he was trying to do. It was just an unfortunate, he swung it at an angle, it hit his shoulder pad, hit him in the head. Knocks him out, falls down, and, and then it's it's it, it's a worldwide story. But the whole the whole story should have been why didn't Donald want to fight Marty again? Instead of, well, you know, Marty tried to decapitate the guy. No, that was just something that happened in the course of him trying to get, get the respect of this young guy yep. and the code. This is this is how the code works.
2: You're right. You're right.
1: But one guy knew the code. The other guy had no, no interest in the code whatsoever. Right. So now it blows up. And, you know, we didn't leave the rink till 4 in the morning because we're writing reports. We got police reports we got to do. Uh, I mean, it was a nightmare. And then we show up for the trial. And you would have thought we were the Kardashians getting out of the van because there were more media cameras in our face with the four of us getting out of the, the truck to walk into the courthouse than I ever saw at a National Hockey League game. Jeez. Like, it was ridiculous.
0: See, I, I didn't know any of this, Mike. And, and you don't sign up for that, right? Like, it, th- th- That's what oh, I mean. Yeah. It, it kind of, ev- not evolved, but that's where we're at. You know, society, that's just where we were at at that time, right?
1: Yep, no, exactly. And, you know, after Brad Watson was on the stand, they, he was on the stand for about an hour and a bit. They called me. I was on the stand from 11 till 12, 15. We adjourned for lunch. I was back on at 1 till 2.30. Then Lonnie Cameron went on after me. And the whole time I was on the stand, Marty's lawyer was getting me to explain the basic code of how these guys operate.
2: Right, right.
1: And, I mean, the, the, the prosecutor didn't have a whole lot to say other than, uh, you know, did, did he swing his stick? Yes, he did. Did he hit him in the head? It ended up hitting him in the head. It went off his shoulder. Okay, thank you very much. And at the end of it, um, when we adjourned for the day, and we're walking out of the courtroom. Marty, Marty came over to me, grabbed me, and, and, and just said, you know what, Mike, thank you very much for, for explaining how this thing works.
2: Right, right.
1: Because Brad, Brad, I know for a fact, Brad didn't, they didn't ask Brad how, how the code worked. And Lonnie was, you know, second or third year in the league. So yeah. I know, they, they didn't have him on the stand very long. And I think it was, I uh, can't remember, was it three? That might have been a three-man game.
0: Oh, that I was. Be- I think that was before the four man cruise, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, that would have been a three man game. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's again, it's 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 a byproduct of something that should have been a hockey story, but now it's it, it's exploded into this. Like you say, McLean's magazine. I'm sure it was in the National Enquirer too. It,
0: it no, it was the first time for me as a hockey fan. It was kind of jarring because. You know, it, it 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 was a news story and it was it was it was not good. It shouldn't have happened. It was wrong. Marty, Marty McSorley is not right, um, but but I had been so used to on the ice in the in the game, quote unquote, the code, all of those sort of things. You can call hockey barbaric. You can call them ruffians. You can say you don't like fighting, but it always seemed to be contained in that. This was the first time that it seemed in my lifetime that it had been, and it had been before. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, there were some other courtroom oh, yeah, dramas and things. It's like
1: been like 30 or 40 years, ago, you know, since the last time that it made, you know. News headlines outside of being a, a sporting right. news, right?
0: And, and and that was the thing that bugged me it was going into a Seven Eleven and and they had the magazines and and you're not looking at the sports section and there's Marty McSorley on the cover of you know when there were magazines all of these things and you know the cover of the national newspapers and it was real jarring to me, but it would, but but it's interesting. Did, I didn't know you. I I really this is fascinating to me, Mike, because I didn't know you went to court on it. do, yep. do you feel like that? the code was put on trial.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and again, you know, we'll you know, I'll preface back to we had the old guard, the Martys and the Dave Browns and, and, and all of those guys, the Stu Grimsons, that understood their position on the team and what their job entailed. Mm-hmm. Then you had the young guys coming up that, you know, Don Cherry I think said it best, you go from crusher to rusher to usher. Yes. Yes. You know, yeah. Uh, they came in. They they played physical, but they played physical against the players that they should have been playing physical against. Then all of a sudden, they think they're hockey players, and now they're running around, racing around like they're Pavel Bure. Eh? Yeah. And they, then they're not successful there. The coach gets on them. The media gets on them. So what do they do? They start to go back, but they're targeting the wrong individuals on the ice. They're going after the skilled players, and it's like no, 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 no. That's not. That's not that's how. That's not how this
0: works. works. No. Yeah.
1: We have, we have three guys up front and two guys on the back. Those two guys in the front, that's their job. You're to go in the corner, make that defenseman make a bad play. Yep. Don't go in and chase Pavel in the middle of the ice and, and try to knock him out of the game.
2: Right, right, right.
1: Because we got guys that can skate with him that will try and, and, and take the puck away, and we have two really good defensemen right. that should be able to keep him to the outside. You just worry about that big guy over there and if you can play or outplay that guy then you've done your job
0: so, so your recollection is that what you were is that what they were asking you to explain on the on the stand oh
1: right. the, the 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 whole time i was up there is how you know how did this thing work on the ice
0: right right with the understanding that this was not the code right yeah. that, 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 that this was a play that came outside of the code what I, what was the know, I, I,
1: I, I told Marty's lawyer, you know, I, you know, from my recollection, it, uh, the majority are scrums or when they were talking between the benches. Mm. Marty had probably asked him 15 times, we got to fight again. And, and Brashear's laughing at him, going like, ha, I beat you once, I don't have to beat you again. Yeah.
0: And that, which is funny, because that becomes a common theme as we move into the next decade and, and you know, we'll get to eventually where we are now, which is, again... A fascinating rabbit hole from a conversation about a guy who's rewriting a, a, a rule book. This is fascinating to me. Um, so fast forward to 2004 and Moore and Bertuzzi. Because that, that, in a way, was kind of the end of the code, right? The end of the acceptance. And, and you had hockey people saying, okay, hold on, stop. At least that's my interpretation of it, Mike.
1: Well, I was there, too, and that game went sideways as well. So You were that, that was, game, too? I was in that game, too. Um, I'm beginning
0: to see a pattern here. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, trust me. Trust me. So, so did the guys I worked with, because every time I got an assignment in Vancouver, I'd get 19 guys texting me like, no, I, we're, we're declining the game in Vancouver <laughs> with Mike.
0: Oh, jeez.
1: But, um, you know, here again, that was a situation where... Tony Granato's got a pretty good Colorado Avalanche team. Yep. Mark Crawford's got a scrappy team. Yes. Um, They're getting embarrassed at home by a pretty skilled hockey team. Yep. So in the third period, Tony starts not playing his first and second line as much. So the third and fourth line are, are, are playing a lot of minutes. Yep. And now we're starting to get the little chirps of, Don't forget what happened in Colorado last time we played.
0: So let's point that out. Let's point that out, that uh, Moore had hit Nasland in Colorado. That's that's the original. And that was two or three weeks before?
1: Uh, Yeah, because they played one time previous. Right. Nothing happened. Right. And I think that game was back in Colorado. Yeah. And then... The second game back in Vancouver, that's when we started. But to get but a there little...
0: there was some space though, Mike. Right? Like there was oh, some yeah. space. Yeah.
1: Yep. 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 There, there, there was a good time frame where cooler heads should have prevailed, and it's right. like, okay, you know what? We had our opportunity last game. We didn't. Right. Let's just let let's just play the game. But you know, um, and not not trying to put myself in Mark Crawford's
0: no, shoes. No. No.
1: But you're, you're you're getting embarrassed at home, nine to four. They're not playing their top two lines now. Their third and fourth line are playing against your top lines and probably matching them, if 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 not outplaying them a little bit, because they've got the opportunity and they're up by five goals. Yeah, You've got a team that's frustrated, Crow's frustrated. Now the drip of, hey, we remember what you did to Marcus. Yeah. And as soon as that happened... Vancouver lost all focus, and next thing you know, I've got a face-off five feet inside the blue line. I drop the puck. Bert hammers him right in the head. He goes down, and that's a dog pile.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it. But again, back to the, the theme we were talking about before with McSorley and Brutu, or uh, uh, with Brashear. The the code is put on trial, and this is another time where, now here's the code again, and you know you came in. We talked about some of the names when you came in. It it, it wasn't that it was not bad anymore, was it? Like,
1: no. I mean, here, who here
0: recognized here, but, the code anymore?
1: Uh, I don't think anybody did, other other than if there was any any more senior players around yeah. that played under it. I mean, those guys did, because again, they just they played amongst themselves.
3: Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: And uh, you know, part of it is out of uh, respect for your really good teammates that you're supporting. But the other part is, too, they wanted to show other general managers, you know, should my contract come up, I'm still a valuable asset because I can still play against these guys. Yeah. So if this team doesn't want me, there's going to be another team that might pick me up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not out trying to chase, you know, again, Pavel Bury. Like, you know, these guys would never catch Pavel in three steps.
0: In a foot race. Yeah.
1: Pavel Pavel, be down at the corner store having a coffee and a donut waiting for him to catch up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fast forward to you know, and
1: and, and, you know, off my point there. You've got Bertuzzi, who's a skilled player, especially in in that time of his career. Yes, yes. Who who comes in as a centerman? He's not a centerman; he's a winger. Yeah. So you know, all of a sudden, my antenna goes up. Like, why is he taking the face off? And I'm looking for every reason to throw him out, but he's not doing anything where I can throw him out. You've got Steve coming in, who's Probably thirty, forty pounds lighter than than yep. Bert was yep. at at the time. Yep. Scrappy player. Sure. Um, but nothing over the line, and and nothing nothing real dirty. But here we go. We got the skill player knocking out a, a, a kid that's unsuspecting because that should never happen. Yeah. Because this guy's this guy doesn't play that way.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then you know we talked before about you know things becoming news stories. That really went to a a different level, right? That well, that was, uh,
1: that was a whole other level, especially when you know um, reports came out as to who said what to whom and who did this and who did that. and yeah. da 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 da. And all of a sudden, the blame game comes out, and everybody's trying to paint everybody that well. The only reason I did this is because he said this and that. Not and that. I mean, the, the only one, the only guy that really knows if anything was said is Burt.
2: Right. Right.
1: And I mean, it's, it, it's a done deal now and I, I don't think it'll ever come out, but it's, you know, it, it, it was another black eye in a short period of time where again, if it was say uh, Rob Ray lining up against Steve Moore, pretty, pretty good idea. Something's going to happen.
3: Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause that's yeah. just the way Rob, that's just the way Rob Ray plays. That's the way Steve Moore plays. But you don't expect it from a Todd Bertuzzi, who's a skilled, skilled guy.
0: No, no.
1: Like, he was supposed to be the ultimate power forward of that era.
0: Yeah. Well, he was. He was Eric Lindros, right? He was another version yep. of what Eric Lindros had brought in the nineties. Yep. You know, not not to say he wasn't going to fight, but but that wasn't not this. That guy, though. No, no, not that wasn't this. So, <laughs> fast forward to your final season because I think it's your final season where fighting just fell off the face of the earth. It just, uh,
1: yeah, I think it dropped like 40% from the year before. It was just
0: insane. Like it, it, yeah. it, it kind of came out of nowhere and it and it was really a sustained that way. Like we, you know, in the last couple of years, there's not been a a big spike or anything like that. Right.
1: No. And and I think that's, that, that's the evolution of you getting some younger general managers coming into the business who see the game as more of a speed skill game than an intimidation game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when they're looking at the rosters and the salary caps got a lot to do with it, too, because, you know, do I want to carry a guy who I'm paying, you know, from reputation, say $2 million yep. who plays four or five minutes a game, but doesn't doesn't dress every game? Or do I want to bring in some young guy who we can groom to play the game with speed and skill who might seven eight minutes but he's going to learn the game um, because the other team they don't have any of those guys anymore so why do I want to carry a roster spot with one of those guys just in case
2: right yeah
1: so yeah. that you know that era of player kind of is, is going by the way of the dodo bird and they're just bringing in speed and skill now and these speed and skill guys they're not going to fight they don't want to fight. No, they want no part
0: of that. No, and I don't you think that part of it too Mike is kind of the societal awareness of concussions and and head injuries and trauma and things like that. Um, oh, that,
1: that's that, that absolutely the you know just the, the more awareness of the long-term effects and you're seeing it from guys who, you know, um God bless them all, we're we're great individuals, yeah, but took t- took their lives because of uh, issues related to some concussion things that they were going through whether it was you know they got hooked on drugs or they got uh hooked on alcohol or you know they were they were sex addicts you know there was something that wasn't right with them anymore because of the beatings that they took and they never recovered so you know all all the medical evidence shows once you have one, each other one in succession gets worse and worse and worse Yeah, to the point where, you know, these guys I don't think could take it anymore. And they're just like, I, you know, I, I just want to leave.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I even found for myself that, you know, part of my calling card as a broadcaster was I go nuts during fights. I thought it was fun. I thought we were all part of it. I thought it was the code without all of those sort of things. But you get around 2009, 2010, 2011, and you start getting into the science and everything. And it's like, you know what? better back down, you know, I feel like the cancel culture now, if they hear those tapes, I'm done. But, you know, uh, it just was an evolution. I just – but I, I still don't quite understand why it fell off a cliff like it did. Like, there's been changes in hockey, but there was nothing mandated that season. There was nothing rule-wise that was put in. It just dropped.
1: No, and, and I think it was just the young general managers coming in yeah. and having to deal with the salary cap going. Yeah. I would rather pay this guy 750. dollars yeah. and he was, he was a good serviceable player in the American League. Let's bring him up, and let's teach him the game at the NHL level. And now it's even gone past that, where the AHL level now is the development league, because by the time they get to the NHL, they got to know how to play the game. They can't come in and develop at the NHL level anymore. There is development, but they've got to know the game at the AHL level and be very, very good at it. Before they're even thrown into a National Hockey League roster now. Cause it's just that competitive. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is is was the game for you, not not for us, but for you, was the game better when you left it than when you the NHL. Yeah. Was the NHL better when you left it than when you came to it?
1: You know, we're talking different eras. Like yes. my first era in the league, like it was it was fun and exciting because um we got to hang around the teams. We were hanging around the players. Not to say we were buddy-buddy, but you'd see them in the same hotel because we'd be sitting in the same hotels. Yep. We'd even be flying on the same flights with them sometimes. Yep. So you got to know them as people. And that's how you got the respect of a lot of the veteran players and a lot of the veteran coaches because they got to know you as a person. Uh, they knew you had a job to do, but they're like, you know what? This He's a good guy. Like, you know what? He's going to make mistakes. Let's just you know, yell at them and then carry on. Right. When they started to get segregated with uh, private flights and, and all this kind of stuff and separate hotels, we lost that connection because now sometimes you'll see them in a hotel and it's, it's not a, Hey, how you doing? It's just like a nod and, mm-hmm. you know, the walk real quickly. Cause you don't want anybody to see that. I just said hi to a referee or a linesman or, or something like that. Right. Um, now it's morphed that they're so segregated from us now that this era of hockey is phenomenal. The speed and skill that these guys have, every one of them, is, is, is unbelievable. It is just incredible, the athletic stuff that these guys can do with the puck at the speed they do it with now. Yep. Um, so was it more exciting then? When I left, absolutely. It's an exciting game. Yeah. When I came into the league, was it exciting? Absolutely. Because not only was it you got to know the players, but there was still some pretty good, tough, hard physical hockey, but it was played with respect. Then we had that middle era where things kind of went sideways, where I think the NHL was trying to figure out You know, are we a big business? Are we a small business? Are we, you know, which direction do we want to go? Are we entertainment or are we still trying to drive hockey? You know, are we a corporate entity or are we a sporting thing? And, you know, I think, you know, as much as we've had fights with Gary, he's done a phenomenal job of uh, getting the game to where it's at now. That it's, uh, you know, that's all anybody's talking about now is they can't wait for July the 28th, for the first game to be, to be shown on TV to see how this thing's going to work and how it's going to play out for, for the Stanley Cup.
0: Well, I'll foreshadow a question that I'm going to ask you here in a bit, but it reminds me a little bit of the evolution of professional wrestling. It was wrestling, and then it became sports entertainment. And yep. I think in, in many ways, I think when you got into it, it was hockey, and then it became sports entertainment,
1: right? Absolutely. That's an awesome analogy, Rob, because that's exactly, that's exactly the progression it took. I got in and it was still a game of hockey. Yeah. Then it ended up being, we're in the entertainment industry. So now we have to entertain and how are we going to entertain? Now I think they're back to pretty much, they've got the entertainment corporate stuff down to where they need it to be. Now we're getting back to hockey and we're seeing it in how fast the game is now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So again, we started with you telling us about (laughs) writing, (laughs) writing a rule book. Um, so one last one on this. As you were preparing this HSL rule book, is there a would you slide a Mike Civic rule? Is there a rule that you would like to put into hockey, or a rule that you would like to take out of hockey that we might find in this book?
1: Uh, yeah, there's a couple of changes there that uh, not only myself but the referee in chief uh, Norm Shaw, you know him, and I discuss a lot of this stuff. We see the game this very similar. I mean, Norm, he got to the Western Hockey League for four years, so he's a, he's a pretty accomplished official. And we see the game pretty much the same way. And there's, you know, some things, you know, I, you know I'll, I'll, I'll give an example. The body-checking rule from Hockey Canada, I, and I just worked on it. It's, where is it here? <laughs> it's three sentences long. Yes. And it's two rules: body checking and knee. Uh, I, I don't know what the two have to do with each other, but it is what it is. Okay. My whole my whole thing with body checking is, I put two and a half pages under just body checking. Right. And my my whole thing, and this is one of the things that I've been trying to, um, when I talk to the coaches of the uh, of the HSL and stuff like this, and when I'm on the teaching side of it when the, when the kids are in the room that if you're the puck carrier, you also have a responsibility on the ice to know what's going on. That doesn't mean you get the puck, you put your head down go through the middle of the ice and don't think anybody's going
0: to come at you. Right. That all the penalties are going to come against you or come for you.
1: Right. You've got a responsibility to know where the, where your opponent is on the ice. You've got to keep your head up. If you're going to go to the wall you gotta know that you take angles. You don't go in perpendicular to the boards ever. Because if you do, that's just a disaster waiting for a place to happen. Yeah. And nine times out of ten it happens. And I also put in under there the responsibilities of the body check, which is not anywhere in in, in, in the rule book, which I, I think it's an integral part of the game of hockey because like stick handling, shooting and passing, body checking is a skill. It's a skill that you need to learn. It's a skill that you need to learn to know how to take a check and how to deliver a check. Right. And I don't think in today's hockey, and I'm not, I'm not an expert on coaching or any, any of that stuff. So I I might be way out of line here, but I don't think the coaches and associations spend enough time teaching this. They're all about, let's get on the ice and shoot pucks at the goalie and let's get on the power play and let's do this and, Where's our breakout?
0: But doesn't it go back to Mike what we were talking about, like you know the the highlight reel hits and all of that stuff? Body checking is to separate the puck carrier from the puck. Yep. Not to take his head off, not to take his knees out, not to knock him on his ass. It's to take separate the man from the puck. We've lost that, and I, I blame and the I, I blame the media. I blame you know hype and video. I mean. God love him. Don Cherry did whatever 30 videotapes of concussions, Uh, you know, but that's how a whole generation came up. Right.
1: To me, it's it's... watching. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know how many times in this preamble to body checking that I highlight that. Body checking is not for intimidation or punishment. Right. Right. If we get into if if, if we get into a body check that's for intimidation and punishment, it's penalty.
0: That's right. Yes, that's common and sense.
1: That's the, that's the bottom line. But you don't see that in any. You don't see that in a rule. No,
0: no, 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 no.
1: And we don't teach that. We don't. The kids don't get that teaching anymore. Because no. again, you have the coach on the on the bench, run them through the end boards. He,
0: or the parent, or or they watch it on TV, or we highlight it, or some goofy oh, yeah. play-by-play guy loses his mind, guilty as charged. Yeah. You know, and we've all got a role to play in this, Mike. So at least you're fixing our mistake.
1: Well, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just trying to adjust the, the, the thinking so that... And, you know, I, I, I don't want to go back to say, you know, body checking and peewee, they took it out and all this got kind of is, is the wrong thing to do. I think had cooler heads prevailed, and I know concussions had a lot to do with it and all this other things, but I, I think if the, everybody took a step back and said, where is the disconnect here from what's happening on the ice. And it they look at their lesson plans for on the ice and all these H one, H two teaching things, look at their lesson plans and go like, nowhere nowhere in here are we teaching the skill of body checking.
2: Right. Right. So maybe
1: if we go back and teach that skill, we're not gonna have these issues. Because it doesn't matter whether you're peewee, bantam, midget, and you know, U ten, U eleven, U thirteen, U fourteen, U sixteen. You're always going to have size discrepancies. So throw that throw throw that argument right out the window. You're always going to have that. So why not teach the kids the proper way to do it?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because if we do. Yeah. Down the road, we may not have these other issues. In. You're always going to have some sort of concussion issues with any body contact sport. It's
0: it's a contact sport, right?
1: But if we can minimize how it happens by teaching the right way to do things, Mm -hmm. I think the end result is we have less concussions. Because people people understand the puck carrier understands. If I got the puck, I expect to be hit. Right. But he's 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 going to have the faith that the guy that's going to hit him is going to hit them properly because they've all been taught the same thing.
0: I, th- I And the one thing I would add to it, my and I don't think it's an issue for the league that you're working in, I don't think this is a problem, but ho- minor hockey in general is, we did have to have that honest conversation about not all kids should be playing. Uh, oh, absolutely. Right? That, that yep. there should be a stream of hockey for kids who don't want to play contact. I think we lost a lot yeah. of kids because it was not for them. And there's nothing wrong with that. No,
1: absolutely but,
0: not. Man. But, and I think you know sometimes that was i think that was kind of the problem with hockey as a general it was too much linear thinking we're all it was a herd right all the kids in minor hockey are moving this way no who wants to do this who wants to go here who wants to go here now if you're in this stream and you're and you're trying to play elite and you're taking it more seriously then the contact's going to be in it let's coach it let's practice it let's incorporate it let's do it right let's do it safely that's why you're doing the rule
1: Right? Yep. And, and, and you know what, Rob? Minor hockey is just a template for guys to become great beer league players later on in life.
0: Greatest line ever by Aaron Downey. My job is not to create one NHL player. It's to create 23 beer league players.
1: Exactly. Yep. So if, 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 if somebody wants to play competitive AAA, uh, AA hockey, yep. good, good for them. Let them go that route. Right. If somebody wants to play B side hockey, yep, great for them. Let them go play B side hockey. If somebody wants to play non contact hockey, awesome. Let them go play non contact. If somebody wants to go play three on three hockey, yep. let them go play three on three hockey. Yep, yep. I mean,
0: that's the, the biggest the, the, adjustment the sports had to make. the the biggest yep. The biggest adjustment the sports had to make is it's had to wake up to. And again, it goes back to the conversation we had about the code. It goes back to the conversation about what the game was like when you got into what you left. We can't, Mike, we can pine for the olden days. Like I, you know, there was something special about Stu Grimson, Dave Brown, or or Dave Semenko, Tim Hunter, and on a level, but that's then. Now you have to, you really do have to cater to the need of the player. In the past, it was the player has to cater to the need of the sport. It's, it's, it's changed, right?
1: It's, it's, it's changed. And, you know, one of the things I'm blessed is, you know, you and Kevin with the heroes program. Yep. Every time, your volunteers that work those programs are phenomenal. One of my best mornings ever is stepping onto the ice with those kids, seeing the smiles on their face, and looking up in the stands, and seeing the smiles on the parents. Right. Because their son or daughter, with whatever impediment they have, are out competing in something that that parent never, ever thought that they would be involved in. Yep, and You're you right. come in the dressing room. You come in the dressing room, and it's just like I walk out of there feeling that I've just been at a at a revival.
0: It's pure. It's pure. It's, it's pure. There's,
1: there's there's nothing like it. Like I'll go home and I'll be yep. on cloud nine for, for for days. Yep, just just looking at the little guys going down the middle of the ice scoring a goal, and
0: never thought they would uh, a year before. Never thought they'd play hockey, let alone score a goal. Right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And they're racing around all over the ice, high-fiving, doing, you know, doing some of the things that the they see the NHL players do yeah. when they score a goal and it's just it's just it's it's awesome. Yeah. And you know, and this is again, I'm in my own little world here <laughs> with where you and Kevin are, are are with the program. I'm thinking, geez, you know what? I hope they can do this in every province across Canada. Yeah. And at some point maybe have a get-together where bc alberta saskatchewan and they, they they meet up at river cree and they and they have a tournament of some sort yeah, yeah. and they get them all together so, i mean it's just it, no that's so no, awesome it's it, so awesome what you guys do with those programs well
0: i pre- well, appreciate it pal but you're you've been a huge volunteer for us and everything we've done so right back at you but it but but it it's what grounds me back into the game right we, we for so long we've been so conditioned that elite, 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 Elite's good. There's nothing wrong with elite. Yep. We need elite, but we got to take care of the other parts too, and we got to make sure everybody gets a chance to play. We got That's how you have fans. That's how you have volunteers. That's how you have the people that fund it. That's you've got to yep. the you know you've got take care of the customer, and and then you grow the game. And I hate to use that word customer, but. You know, gone are the days of saying, hey, kid, you can't play football and, you know, you're going to play nine times a week and practice eight times a week and stuff like that. And you don't have a choice. Give me your give me your wallet. Those days have come and gone. Right.
1: No, absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's and and, and that's and that's the thing is, you know, I, I don't know the funding model again to the CHA and stuff like this. But I can guess just by how tournaments are run and how these guys travel and the stuff they get and stuff. Like, the ten percent get ninety percent of the money, and the ninety percent get ten percent. For the it most part, be, it, it, it should be. You know what? We'll we'll take care of these guys, you, but we have this whole other very large group that we need to take care of as well. I, it's it's funny. I didn't. Geez,
0: we should do our own podcast. We'll call it Rabbit Holes because we just keep going. <laughs> we just keep going down these rabbit holes. But it is. It's funny you say that because you know i i without it's an observation i look at some of the different associations some of the different governing bodies and it's route revenue generation and it's about yep. it's about promotion of the top end and i'm not again it's it's nothing to do with we should not we absolutely the world juniors are fantastic absolutely that's that's fantastic we should we it's, should you like, know it
1: brings the country together sure. brings the country together it, it's, but it's a small group of people
0: Yeah. And you know who's getting it right now? I got. I hate to say this, and and I'll probably get struck by a lightning bolt, but it's hard not to appreciate what USA Hockey is doing these days. Because yep. I'll tell you, USA Hockey, yes, they'll mention their elite programs, but boy, are they, you know, they're talking about multi-sport. They're talking about rec. They're talking about, you know, three-on-three. They're talking about just going out and small area games and all of these things that you and I are associated with in smaller things, but... It'd be just kinda nice if that was the direction. Yeah,
1: they 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 put the ninety percent at the forefront and the ten percent, they talk about when they need to talk about. Yeah. When there's a camp or when there's a tournament sure. coming up. Sure. Like, yeah, you know what? Now we bring this group front and center. But they're not our core group. This big group over here is our core group. How do we how do we get this core group right to number one, get involved? Number two, stay involved.
2: Right. But it's, but that's you, the, that's the
1: other but, thing. So, you know, you get the one year wonders that come in. They're not happy with how things are done and they get so disenchanted with the game. They leave and yeah. they're disgruntled when they leave. They,
0: they are. And they don't give you good word of mouth and all of those sort of things. And, you know, it, it, there's a reality to it and it's that S with the two lines through it. <laughs> right. Like, you know, it's, it's what dictates and it's what makes the world go round and, and. It's the challenging part, but I do believe there's, you know, there's a little bit of a revolution going on right now. I do believe that, you know, the fact that, you know, a group like Hockey Calgary, for instance, starts a rec program. Guess what? Yep. That's their biggest program. That's, that's and, where their growth is, right? In that, exactly. in that house so, leap.
1: And, and, and what that's done is it's taken a group of kids – that probably would drop out of hockey. That's and right. never Play ever again. That's right. Giving them an avenue. That's right. So what is what is wrong with that? Nothing. Like we should be creating avenues, uh, finding out why why individuals are leaving the game. Yep. And see if it's a big enough group that we say, okay, you know what, we, this is how we this is how we bring these guys back yep. into the game.
0: And I'll I'll blow our I'll toot our horn horn a little bit. You were talking about the superheroes program and the heroes program. The superheroes program works with kids with cognitive disabilities, autism, Down syndrome. I'll tell you right now within 5 years superheroes is going to graduate some players into house league and put players in the stream so they yep. will be paying the fees and they will be part of the greater community and we've got to stop looking at these things as oh that's nice no there's got to be a path to play right yep. there needs to be a path to play and and that's that's what we really got to work on. And so when you're doing something like that and, and building a rule book, I mean, it's all, okay. All right, enough of my high horse. Hold on, let me read a liner. Uh, Sport Calgary is the voice of over 275 sports organizations in the Calgary area. Share your voice and become a Sport Calgary member for free at sportcalgary.ca slash members. Um, could tell the story about growing up in Calgary. Could tell the story about being a player, finding your way to refereeing, and finding your way... Up real quick, 87, you're in the NHL. It's a great Calgary story. You're a great Calgarian, but you can help me with a little bit of a blind spot that we've had on this podcast. We are nearly 60 podcasts in since the pause, and we've talked about the cannons, and we've talked about the cavalry, and the flames, and the Olympics, and all of these things. The one thing, and I kind of hinted at it before, but can you talk a little bit about your friendship and your relationship with the hearts, and, and what the hearts mean to you and and what they mean to Calgary
1: in your eyes. You know, it's the, I have a very special spot in my, in my heart for the hearts. Um, when I was training, um, I would train out at BJ's gym. So uh, Georgia, of course, was one of the Stu's daughters married yep. to BJ, who was a fireman. Yep. Uh, and that's where I got to know Owen and Brett and, you know, the numerous amount of wrestlers that came through Calgary doing events for Stu that would come out, have a quick workout and stuff like this. And, um, Owen of course was a little bit younger than I was. So we got, you know, one day we were sitting there working out and we just got talking travel stories. And it just ended up that if I was in Chicago and the WWF at the time, uh, as it was called was in Chicago, Um, I would see Brett Nolan and Jim and, and, and everybody. So I just started hanging around with them. And then from BJ's Georgia offered to uh, have me up for Sunday dinner one time at the house. And uh, it was just, you know, it boggled my mind how many people were at, at the dinner table and they had me sitting right by Stu and, Stu would be, hey, uh, yeah, big a little big uh, big guy here, you know, do you ever think about uh, trying some wrestling? <laughs> and Owen would just look at me and shake his head going, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, and Ellen would come by, oh, Stu, leave the nice young man alone. But, you know, we got talking about, you know, some of Stu's travels and yeah. some of the people that Stu met and um, – after that I was like one of the family I would be at the gym and hey Mike you coming for Sunday dinner so yeah I'd go up for Sunday dinner and stuff like this and uh you know I got to got to hang around Owen quite a bit and through Owen I got to go into the a lot of the uh events in in different cities and uh go backstage and you know talk to guys like uh The Rock and talk to Stone Cold Steve Austin and Mark The Undertaker and uh I've got a picture of me wearing his, uh, black undertaker, uh, cape and hat somewhere. I, I got to find the stupid thing cause uh, <laughs> him and I were the same size, but he just dwarfed me just, he was so thick. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was, it, it's, it's nice, you know, that I, you know, that I could call Owen a friend and, and, you know, I have great conversations with Brett. Uh, the odd time, I still talk to Diana. Um, you know, I see Harry Jr.'s uh, wrestling over in Japan. and So I kind of follow them a little bit. But it's, you know, when it comes to Calgary, everybody knows Brett. Um, you know, you, you talk about Stu. Um, he was such a, you know, from my dad being a policeman, hearing some of the stories from the police side versus me <laughs> being up at dinner and, and, and actually being with the man. It's, you know, it was such a, it was such a great family. And, and Helen was just a sweetheart. You know, when she passed away, it, it, it I sat there and I cried for 10 minutes. Yeah. Same, same as Owen. It was just like, um, uh, you know, hard to believe that such a wonderful woman, um, would leave the earth at, at, at such a, you know, a, a time way before she should have. I, I
0: I don't it's one of the things that I wanted to do with this podcast is just you know maybe there's some young people that don't have that connection don't know what stampede wrestling is but you would have been you know a young guy growing up you you know what it meant I mean the you know the big shows in the stampede and and you know Ed Whalen and all of that Um, just what did it mean to you I mean obviously you were a fan of it growing up right.
1: Oh yeah, there was, uh, I can remember uh, every Sunday we would have dinner at my uh, mom's dad's house, my grandfather. So I would be at my grandfather's at 8 o'clock in the morning. We'd go um, do some yard work for Mr. McCullough who owned Macklin Ford. So we'd go down into uh, Mission, uh, do the flower beds, I'd cut the grass, stuff like this. We'd have to be back at home at 12 o'clock so that we could sit down at one o'clock and watch stampede wrestling. Cause that's when they played it at one o'clock on Sunday. <laughs> so we had to, we had to be home in time, have dinner finished so that we could sit down in front and watch stampede wrestling.
0: The, the heart house uh, you had dinner there. Um, oh yeah. As advertised as, as the reputation preceded it, it was something else.
1: Oh, it was, it was something else, you know, like uh, walk in and, just some of the, uh, I guess, gifts that uh, Stu and Helen had received over the course of uh, starting Stampede Wrestling through the WWE and the WWF and stuff like this. Um, some of the rugs and pictures, and it was phenomenal. Just you walk in the house, that huge chandelier right right in the front there, and then you walk in and it was like this industrial-sized kitchen. You're going like, Really? But then when you got everybody in there, you're like, okay, I can see why we got this thing here. And then downstairs and upstairs, it was just like, uh, uh, it was, you know, thinking back, you know, and this is before camera phones and stuff like this. I wish I'd taken pictures of it Yeah, it was just, it, it was something that, you know, is now gone, but, you know, memories are always great.
0: Well, like I say, I I think, you know, there's so many wrestlers now with podcasts and books and stuff like that. There's a lot of Stu Hart stories, and there's a lot of stories about that house, and there's a lot of stories about that dungeon, and there's, like, bears under the deck, right? Like, there was a wrestling bear and, and stuff like that. Like, I hope Calgarians appreciate, you know, what a worldwide thing this was, too, right? Like, there was people from all over the world that came to Stu.
1: Oh, I mean, he was world... I mean, you look at Japan, like, Stu's a legend in Japan.
3: Yeah, yes.
1: I mean, he's he's, he's a legend in Europe. He's a legend in the United States. He's a legend in Canada. I mean, anywhere where there's some sort of semi-pro wrestling, you're going to find somebody there that has been influenced by Stu.
0: Yeah, yeah. Tell me about Owen.
1: Oh, what a fantastic young man he was. I mean, we had so many um war stories about travel and getting snowed in and then uh I was uh, I wasn't a big prankster but I started to become a bit of a prankster after hanging around with him because uh he would start telling me some stories of some stuff that he would do to some guys in their in their hotel rooms and on the way and stuff like this so he's a he's a pretty uh <laughs> a pretty tricky dude
0: They loved him too right like his well, peer I mean, his peers loved him
1: you, you know and I think when it came to the craft of wrestling, you look at Brett, you look at Owen, I mean, even Jim, as big as Jim was, mm-hmm. um, they were very technical guys that very rarely hurt their opponent Yes, in in, in, in doing their yep. thing inside the ring, yep. which is why other wrestlers respected them and want to wrestle with them. And, you know, again, like any contact sport, you're going to have injuries like Owen... You know, uh, with with Stone Cold and stuff like this, but even then, Stone Cold still had a lot of respect for Owen because of the person he was. Because that wasn't part of their thing. They didn't go in there to hurt anybody to to tell their story. No. They told their story. No. In a very believable way, and everybody walked out and 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 were happy and, and unhurt.
0: You know, it's funny that in the pause, we were talking earlier about the old games and stuff like that. One of the things that I did was, you know, go back, thanks to YouTube and some other things, and and go back and watch the wrestling that I grew up with, and but with a different point of view on it. And the one thing that I came away with was how influential Brett, Jim, Davey, Dynamite, even Owen were mid-80s, you know, through the 90s. There was, yep. there was a lot of Calgary that became part of, you, you know, it was very much ground and pound and, and you know, a lot of flopping around. And then all of a sudden the British Bulldogs and the Heart Foundation showed up and they're flying around and doing stuff. And, you know, it's crazy The the Hulk matches would go in the middle and they'd always put a, a bulldogs Heart Foundation match at the end because they wanted to send everybody home happy. Like, it's incredible yep. what an impact they had.
1: Yeah, well, you know, you talk about Dynamite Kid. I mean, what about Brian Pillman? What'd they call him? Flat exactly. Brian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those, those those two guys, I think, invented coming off the top rope and spinning in the air and landing on guys. Yeah. And when they did it, you, you, you know, looking at it as as a fan, you are going like, "Wow, you know, he really hurt the guy." But then when you when you take 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 away the fan and you start looking at it technically, you are going like, "Man, did he ever do a good job of not landing right on that guy's chest?"
0: Yes. Yep. 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 I
1: mean, there is skill involved in that.
0: Yep. No, it's like I say, it's it's the one part, you know, and I, I've got to find a way to do it, but it's the one thing that, you know, as Calgarians, I think we need to be respectful of and proud of is, you know, we we played a large role in that industry. Well, we did. Well, the it, hearts did. I mean, let's be the honest. Hearts, the hearts did.
1: I mean, you you go back to the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Anytime anybody talked about Calgary, it was the Calgary Tower. Yep. Calgary Stampede, yep. Stampede Wrestling.
3: Yep. Yep.
0: Yep.
1: And then it was the Rocky Mountains and everything else.
0: Yep. 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 I don't know if people appreciate it. Like, I work for a team that's named after a professional wrestler, which is awesome. But you start digging around and, like, you know, here we are talking about Owen. But let's talk about Brett for a second. Oh. In his heyday, we're talking about a guy who was the most popular male athlete in Germany and in India all well, over I'd the say world. i Right, I'd say worldwide. What? Right, at the height of his popularity, he was as big as anybody. Yep,
1: uh, you know he uh, he would have surpassed, I think, Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, all those guys. Like they're steps way behind where he was.
0: Yeah, yeah, but kept coming home and, to Ca- but kept coming home to Calgary.
1: And, and, and you look at him, Brett. Brett's a very great human being. Yes. He always, always was great with his family. He always did the right things. You look at some of the other guys, not so much.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And not, not, not to say that they weren't great athletes and great wrestlers and stuff like this. They just chose to live their life a little differently than, than how Brett did. And I think that's what separated Brett and Owen and Davey and Jim and all those guys is they all kind of lived their life on a good path. Yeah. Not to say that, you know, they didn't do some things that, you know, probably they shouldn't have. But we all do. Sure. But generally, they were great people. And that's and that's why they were so respected. And that's why they're still respected, because they're just great people.
0: Two, two things. One, um, and you may have been there. But I had forgotten about the pay-per-view in Calgary in 1997, the Canadian Stampede. And I watched that. Uh, when the WWE made their app for free, I I just didn't remember it. And I went back and I watched. There's four matches on that card, and I'm like, yep. that's weird. <laughs> but that I've never heard a crowd like that, and I've never seen a scene like at the end when they all came into the ring and Heart and Hell. Oh, when it, they uh, went in the ring, to, no, that was. Were you there, I, Mike?
1: No, I unfortunately I, I I didn't get a chance to go there. Uh, B J asked me if I wanted tickets and. I had some family yeah. function I yeah, was yeah. doing, and I, I I couldn't get there. But I'll tell you what, when I got home, I watched it,
0: and it was something else, wasn't it? Like it was, it
1: was like I, again. It, it I got. Shivers through my body, and the hair in the back of my neck stood up when they all got in the ring. And,
0: oh, uh, me! I'm watching it in 2020 during a pandemic, and I'm going, "This is the fricking best!" Like, because you, you look at it, you go, "There's four matches on it. This is this is some sort of throwaway thing." And then the crowd is just insane, like from the drop yeah. of the hat, absolutely insane. And then it goes to a level you didn't think it could go to when the hearts no, came no. through that. And and to think about it, like you had there's Stone Cold who's kind of South of the border, probably nothing's bigger than him right now. And, and it was just, it was incredible. And the second thing, and it goes to what you were talking about with Brett. You watch that Wrestling With Shadows, and you watch, and, and, and you know, Brett's talked about the Montreal screw Job and, yep. and everybody asks him about the Montreal screw Job. But got, getting to know him last year a little bit, listening to him, I think at the end of the day, that hurt more because of what he thought the business should be. It wasn't so much about he was going to another federation. It wasn't so much about Shawn Michaels. It was, this is, this is the business I love. Like, I love yeah. this business. i do anything. And, and, you know,
1: I, I think, Rob, we, we, we can take it back to, you know, his idea of wrestling was telling a story inside the ring.
0: Yes. So proud, of that. So, it, it, proud it of that. so proud of It wasn't
1: the corporate stuff, and it wasn't, you no. know, the sports entertainment. It was going from wrestling to sports entertainment, which is why I think Brett decided to leave. Yeah and he didn't think that they were going to um, do that to him as he was leaving Yes, this, the, 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 this business because he still saw wrestling as wrestling. Yeah. He, he didn't see it as this corporate entity, and we're not, uh, you know...
0: Well, it is an irony, um, isn't
1: it? You know, Vince McMahon, I'm not going to even give him the opportunity to take my WWF yeah. championship belt down to... Uh, down to Florida there with... Uh, WCW. With, with that wrestling federation, WCW, yeah. Yeah. and and paraded around in the ring and and disrespected, which is something that Brett would never, ever do. No. He would never disrespect any of that stuff.
0: But you, but you know you, what's you, priceless? You a corporate guy. Yeah. Well, no, I'm sorry to jump on you, Mike, but you know what's priceless is I'm thinking about it right now. That's right around the same time McSorley and Bashir And no. here we are talking about the code. And you were literally in a courtroom, you know, not defending, but explaining that the code was on trial. And I think yeah. that's the same thing for Brett. The history, the code of wrestling went on trial there, and and they lost, and it went in a different direction. It's never, it's never been the same since.
1: Oh, no. It's, and, and, you know, and, and, and I'll finish my thing, because, you know, Brett would never disrespect wrestling like how Vince had perceived that he made. Yes, and that's why, and, yeah. and that, and that's why he had this. That's why he had the story switch and, and the change. And you know, I understand. You know where, you know, you, you have to cut ties and stuff like this. But there's a proper way to do it, and that just wasn't the proper way to do right. it. And, right. And you know that was, and I, and I'm pretty sure right after that is when you saw the new uh entrance music for WWF and the new the new era of yep. WWF and all that yep. that that kind of, that's that, that's when that whole era started right. It was right after right right after the Montreal thing sure and i mean i'm i'm sure vince could have done the same thing by just having a conversation with brett saying listen i'm concerned that you might do this yep can i have your word that you're not going to and i know for a fact that brett would say no i would never never do that to
0: you i'll go you one better i think he gave him is where you wouldn't do that and it wasn't good enough i think it was the death of the handshake deal and i i think to your point you know it's funny about alliteration and and themes and stuff like that i think they made a deal with the devil and i think financially it paid off but i think they lost a bit of their soul I just don't think. Well oh, they
1: lost the uh, they, they lost a huge part of their soul because that, right after that happened, you started watching it. It was less about wrestling and more about getting in the ring and talking about how you're going to beat up your opponent. And then uh, the pyro man, the pyrotechnics come and somebody sure. comes in, jumps and- you in the ring, drops you in. And then there's there's your next uh, SummerSlam,
0: right. But, you know, and The Rock would get big and, and I nobody would argue the, the success that Stone Cold and The Rock had financially and on the sport and the movies and all of, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just it's kinda like the code. Like, you yep. know, there's a lot of people that go, Oh, you guys in the hockey code, why are you there was it's it's the old nineteen fifties movie. Don't wrong me. If you wrong me, then you gotta fight me. And I'm gonna yep. I'm gonna be on the I'm gonna be on the side of righteousness here, right? But if you don't wrong me, I won't wrong you. There was that. And that's how I always felt the code was, right? Yeah, like, there was
1: always that. Under, it, w- it would be no, no no, different than the handshake agreement. And yeah. that's, that's what you left because that was your word. That was the that's code. That's right. That's right. And, and that we understood it. that.
0: We accepted that. We, we played yeah. by those rules. And I think Brett, to you, I swear, I, I've watched those things a million times. I'm sure he did say that. But I swear that all you had to say, you know, like Brett said, let me drop it on Raw the next day. I'll drop it on Raw the next day. That's all you have to do. It's easy. Yeah. But, no, uh, (laughs) we do need to do a podcast called Mike and Rob's Rabbit Hole. Before I let you go, and you've been very generous with your time, but, Mike, it's the question I ask everybody on this podcast, no parameters, but uh, before I let you go, because it is about Calgary, uh, give me a hidden Calgary gem. Give me Mike Civic's hidden Calgary gem.
1: My hidden Calgary gem. Hmm
0: no parameters I a, anything you want
1: I, I got a few actually um i like uh nose hill park just going up there and going for a walk and taking in uh the beauty of the city on a, on, a, on a nice day um there's the last straw it's a kind hmm. of a cute little bar up in uh northwest calgary there okay um what uh well hey What's Calgary without Spolombos, dude?
0: Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, that. <laughs> it, so Nose Hill has come up, I think, three times, and I think this is the second or third time for Spolumbos, too. So, but institutions, right? Like that—that's what yep. Calgary's about, right?
1: Yeah, and you know, again, it goes back to you know knowing the guys when they were football players, even before they 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 started their company and. uh going back to their first store down on uh, down on night there I think it's a I think it's a uh, uh, what do they call it an appliance store now their first one yeah um, and then they built the, that nice big spot but you know again quality of the individual plus the quality of the food that you get you can't go wrong yeah you absolutely can't go wrong there
0: you, you you know we i accused you 90 minutes ago of bearing the lead are you good are you healthy because you did have a little bit of a uh, a challenge here in this pause
1: yeah you know i'm i'm getting better my uh you know my blood work was going really well for a couple of weeks where you know they were talking about me only having to go in once a month and then uh tuesday it went sideways so you know i'm back to tuesday fridays for a little bit and uh you know, like I say, you know, this morning the, uh, the dog took me for a walk, so I get <laughs> two of those a day, um, which is good. Um, you know, unfortunately my buddies are playing hockey on Saturdays and I can't go anywhere near that right now because, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, he, as the doctor said, when I saw him on Tuesday, you know, even the hardest little bump on a, on, on a corner of a kitchen shelf, he says you could be in trouble. So gotcha with just, j- just the blood thinners that I'm on right now, but He's expecting a full recovery, and, you know, he's hoping that I'm not going to be on blood thinners for the full six months. He figures probably three to four, and then I'll be back to doing what I'm doing, and hopefully by then we'll have a a vaccine or this this COVID thing disappears and we can get back to, you know, playing some alumni hockey and uh, getting back in the rink and uh, seeing how, you know, things – things change with the guy, you know, with the kids on the ice, with, you know, the handshaking and everything, you know, where that's going to go. And, you know, that's, you know, kind of – and here's my tradi- traditionalist part of me coming out um, is, you know, one of the biggest traditions I think we have in this in the sport of hockey, which I, I, I think is one of the best, is after you compete seven games yeah. and somebody's a winner, the the handshake line is – you know, something that I think can never be replaced, but with the way things are going, I'm scared it's going to be replaced, and if it is, that it's never going to come back.
0: Yeah, I, I I think that one's an easy one for me. That one's just keep the gloves on and let's do knuckles. Yeah. You know, let's do some variation of there. Even if we have to do elbows, let's not lose that. Let's
1: not yeah. lose that. Um, I, I, and I hope we don't because that's yeah. much, that's – You know, I I take it back to, you know, gladiators in the ring. You've you you, you've gone to war, you've gone to battle. Somebody's gotta be the winner, somebody's gotta be the loser, but you respect your opponent enough to say thank you for the battle.
0: Thank you for the podcast. Um (laughs) love you, brother. I think you're the best. You know that. Love everything about you, and I love everything you're doing to make things better. So, thanks for taking some time. Thanks for talking to us today, Mike.
1: Hey, love you too, Robbie. Man, thanks for having me. It's always great talking to you. This it t- takes me back to the studio. On yeah, the it does, doesn't it? Yeah, it's the good old days.
0: <laughs> He's large and in charge, not only on the ice but in real life. Uh, our dear friend Mike Civic. Thank you so much for uh, that. Was just a lot of fun. Um, little less the Calgary storytelling and quite a conversation about officiating, but uh, he. he- Mike knows what he's talking about. Not many guys you're going to come across that are actually writing a rule book, and he's doing that. So thanks to Mike. Thanks to all of our guests. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, head on over to Spotify and, and sign up or Apple Podcasts. Uh, support us that way. We'd love to have you. Uh, tell a friend. That's the biggest thing. Uh, we're closing in on 60 different podcasts so far in this project, and it's been exciting, each and every one of them. Thanks to you for uh, downloading it and listening to it. Uh, we'll be back. This has been an original 6 feet Conversation podcast here at Sport County you we-